Hello there, everybody. How you doing? You having a good week? I hope you're having a good week. I hope that you are all listening to all of the music that I've been putting out for the past six months. I hope that you're enjoying that. And um, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, I would suggest you do that uh, to help me out because I need all the help that I can get. In the last episode, I kind of left off when I was talking about the more technical aspects of the band Slow Bob and when I started drumming for them. And uh, I'm going to continue with that story today. Um, But before I do that, I wanted to mention something really quick. Um, I've been doing the Snowflake 33 uh, podcast, we'll call it, for about 10 months, almost a year. I, I can't believe it. And and over the course of the past 10 months, you know, from month to month, episode to episode, I kind of have been asking myself, what am I trying to say? You know, what am I trying to gain? But I got to tell you this. If there was ever a reason for me to be talking about myself and, and going into all the stuff that I am, if there was ever a reason for it, okay, the past week or two, I, I got the reason, okay? Now, you may or may not know, depending on how many of these uh, Snowflake 33s that you've listened to, but I had mentioned there was a friend of mine that I had met. Uh, I first mentioned her in the story about my brother, uh, Steve in the People's Art Show, and uh, I mentioned her in that episode. And then I mentioned her again uh, back in like the Fame 2 episode. Well, lo and behold, you know, this friend that I had lost contact with for 20 years, maybe more, uh, this person whom I love very much and always did, and I don't even really know why we stopped talking. We just kind of faded away from each other, but uh, she has reappeared in my life. After the fame episode that I mentioned her in, maybe a couple days later, I get a friend request from this very dear friend of mine, and I can mention her name because she's given me permission to. Her name is Brenda, and uh, I just love her. I just love her. She's like the the sister that I would have uh, picked for myself, you know. Uh, you know, I've heard it said before that um, as we exist on this planet, um, there's a family that we are born into, okay, a biological family, and then there's the family that we choose for ourselves as we live our life, and. Let me tell you, if I were ever going to pick a sister for myself, um, it would be Brenda. And uh, I never stopped caring about her, you know? And we were just good friends, and we never crossed the line into the intimate and, you know, romantic or whatever. It, you know, it just wasn't there. Um, she was attractive enough, and she was certainly smart enough and everything, and had a great sense of humor we got along great but for some reason her and I just never went there we just didn't and I'm so glad we didn't because 
now I have this friend back in my life. And ah, if there was ever a reason I was doing Snowflake 33, that's the reason. It's That's reason enough for me. So, Brenda, I know that you're listening to this, and I love you, baby. I love you. Always have, always will. So, there's so much there. This woman was integral in my life. Um, when it came to music and, and loving music and enjoying it, you know, like a delicacy, she really kind of taught me how. Okay? So, Brenda, love ya. Um, okay, there was another thing that I wanted to mention. Oh, yeah. Okay, I wanted to mention there was that span of time when Thumper Incorporated had broken up. And uh, Pipe Choir was doing the live thing. And it was, like, right before Slow Bob started. Well... I had mentioned in the previous episode that I was getting offers from other bands to drum for and uh, that I was turning them down. And I remembered, okay, there was one band that needed a drummer to sit in for them for a show. And I knew them pretty well. And they asked me if I would do it as a favor. And I said, yes, I'll do it. I'll show up and do the show. Now... (laughs) There's a couple of reasons why I'm bringing this up. One, to correct my prior mistake, saying that I didn't say yes to anyone else. I did. And the band that I said yes to <laughs> was called Marinated Anus. <laughs> that was the name of the band. They were a punk rock band that a friend of mine had started. And he was just a hilarious dude and really, really funny. And... Um, you know, they, he had a band and they were called Marinated Anus and they needed a drummer. So I said that I would sit in for them. They had an opening slot for this band at this club that, uh, you know, was like a local club. Uh, it was close to where I lived. Um, and it was uh, a club called Flashes in, in Cleveland. And it was a hub, you know, for bands that were kind of just getting started it was a good sized stage it was a great club and uh played a lot of shows there um and this show was one of them this band marinated anus (laughs) that needed a drummer had gotten an opening slot for this band called tool uh they were going to be playing at flashes and this band i was going to be playing in was the warm-up band So I show up for the gig and we play the gig and it was, you know, good or horrible, depending on, you know, what you consider to be good or horrible, Uh, whatever you would expect from a band called Marinated Anus. Um, (laughs) But uh, (laughs) so we finish the show and there's like nobody there. I mean, tumbleweed you know, blowing through the place and you can hear crickets, you know, in between songs. And, uh, so the, the set ends and no one cared and, uh, the show was over. And then this band tool comes on. Okay. And yeah, it was tool, you know, the band tool. And I'm standing literally right in the front row. 
Okay? Nobody there. I think even the guys that I played with that night were, like, gone. They left. And I was still there watching this band called Tool that no one had ever heard of. So there I am about maybe three or four feet away from Maynard Keenan and Tool as they are just absolutely laying it down. I mean, there was nobody there, okay? But they were playing like they were in a stadium. I mean, they meant every single bit of what they were doing. I mean, they were as serious as a heart attack. And they just came out and ripped my face off. I got to stand right there. I was riveted. I mean, Maynard Keenan just got down into this pose and he had the mohawk and the, you know, the tattoo of vertebrae down his back and just, you know, just this freaky dude. And they just kicked ass. Um, so that's why I wanted to mention it because actually I've been tuning into Tool a lot lately, kind of, uh, listening to them again and remembering how awesome they are as a band. I mean, they just are... (laughs) They just... They're so good, they bum me out, you know? If you're a musician and you ever think you're doing anything good, listen to a Tool album and it'll put you right back to where you (laughs) should be, okay? Um, They're good for that, if not anything else. But, uh... So that's why I wanted to mention it. And because I remembered, you know, my, my memory isn't always so great, but every once in a while I get it right. Okay, so having talked about all that stuff, now I'm going to continue the talk about fame and all that stuff, and I should call it anything but fame. Um, uh... And, you know, like I said, I left off with Slow Bob, you know, explaining kind of like when we first hooked up as a band and how the social dynamic of the band was working and stuff, even from the beginning. Okay. But today, what I want to talk about, as far as Slow Bob is concerned, I want to talk about the creativity that we had as a band. Okay. And not so much just in the realm of the actual music but just in the attitude and our approach to this band as like an entity that we were applying our collective energy to okay I mean I just learned volumes from these guys you know it's been you know 20 years since I was in Slow Bob and I still talk about that band to my wife anyway like all the time I mean, 20 years later, I'm still unpacking a lot of what shook down when I was in that band. I mean, the impact of it was just so intense on my life. It changed me on a molecular level. I mean, it really did. Um, And I'll explain to you how and why. Um, I already told you about, you know, as far as being a drummer was concerned, uh, you know, just being in a band with this guitar player, drummer, singer, guy from Slow Bob. I mean, he just, you know, he erased almost everything I knew and we started over and rewrote a whole new book on, you know, how I was going to be drumming for the rest of my life. And um, he was probably the only real drum teacher I ever had or the closest thing to it, okay? Now, aside from the music, okay, um, these two guys that I was in Slow Bob with 
were very, very creative, and they had a very sharp wit about everything they did. There was like a, a, a sense of sarcasm behind all of their humor, okay? And it was very clever and, and high-minded and really funny. I mean, it was really funny. And some examples that I can give you, okay? Um, the first one that comes to mind that I will tell you about is our publicity photo. Now, for all you millennials out there, um, a long time ago, back in the good old days, uh, when a band was promoting itself, there were like three things you needed to promote your band. It was kind of a standard requirement. You needed to have a cassette tape or a CD of your music. You had to have a bio of the band and you had to have a photograph of the band. Especially if you were trying to uh, get some like press on your band or on a show that was coming up. You know, those three things were very important to getting any kind of response from the news media or from uh, club owners when you're trying to get a gig or anybody that you would be interested in dealing with as a band. You needed this package. They called it a press kit. And you would put it all in an envelope and you would hand it to the person that you were, you know, seeking to get some kind of service from. Okay. Well, by the time we were arriving at the point where we needed to make our press kit, we had a very sarcastic and cynical view of those kinds of things. And having done it for so long, I mean, each one of us had in the various bands we had been in. Um, now we were grown men. We were still making music and, and doing the band thing. So we were just very cynical about the whole thing. And so we decided that instead of giving the news media a straight shot of us as a band or something or posing or whatever, we decided that what we were going to do was take this movie still from a documentary film uh, about uh, this insane asylum. It was a special uh, documentary for like PBS or something, okay? And it featured, you know, footage of these inmates of this institution. And uh, somehow our uh, guitar player singer, who also was a very notable contemporary artist in our area, um, uh, he got a hold of this movie still from this <laughs> documentary, and we decided that we would use that as our publicity photo. And the picture was kind of blurry. There were these three guys in the picture, and it was, like I said, it was kind of blurry, and you couldn't really tell. Even, like, people that knew us couldn't really tell if it was us or if it wasn't, which is really funny because the picture looked nothing like us, okay? I mean, it was, like, obvious to us that it didn't look anything like us, but even people that knew us couldn't tell. They weren't sure if it was us or not, which was even funnier. So when we started to hand that out to people in the news media, especially people that we knew, like my friend Brenda, you know, they thought it was 
absolutely hilarious that we were doing that. And slowly other people caught on to the fact that this photo was not actually us. And it kind of rippled out into the community. And we were getting kudos from people, mostly in the news media, uh, about how clever that was. And they thought it was hilarious. And in fact, I could probably hear Brenda laughing about it right now as she's listening to this, because it really was, it was really funny. Okay, it was a really funny idea. Okay, another idea that we came up with was um, there was a, a music showcase that would happen in the city of Cleveland every year. And it was sponsored by a magazine called Scene Magazine. It was like the... Uh, like one of the bigger uh, uh, music newspapers in our area. There were maybe three or four at the time, and it was probably the biggest, okay? And they sponsored this event called Undercurrents. And (laughs) Undercurrents had kind of earned this reputation over maybe the course of like a five-year period that it was really kind of bought and sold. Like it really wasn't about how good your band was, you know, getting selected for uh, an undercurrents showcase, you know, was not based on how good your band was. It was based on who you knew. And, uh, you know, it was unfair and therefore not to be taken too seriously. And of course, you know, it was the city of Cleveland. It wasn't like New York City or something. So it was, you know, small potatoes. But, you know, it was a showcase. Record companies would, you know, show up, A&R people, and they would watch the bands play or whatever. But for the most part, on the street with the bands that were, you know, really doing something and trying to make it, they didn't take it too seriously. And Slow Bob certainly did not take it seriously at all. I mean, all three of us were so jaded about it at that point that we were like, you know, we will do anything but undercurrents. But having said that, okay, what we did decide to do, instead of boycotting undercurrents like all the other bands were doing that we knew, we decided that we would actually put it to the test. And it was hilarious, okay? Listen to this. Okay. We decided that we were going to try to get into undercurrents, but we weren't going to just submit one press kit for Slow Bob. What we were going to actually do was make up two other bands, two fake bands, all the same music, different band member names on each bio, a different photograph for each band, and a different band name. And we would submit the same music three times to this committee. And there was Slow Bob. We submitted a straight-up press kit. Um, The other name we came up with was Castrate. And the third band was called Nurse Ratchet. Now, Slow Bob didn't get picked to play. And Nurse Ratchet didn't get picked to play. But Castrate did get picked to play. And... As soon as we got, you know, notified that we were going to be playing Undercurrents under the name Castrate, we laughed so hard. Like it was it was so funny. Okay, not just to us, but to all the people that were like in our circle. You know, it was just so funny that we actually had done that. So, um, 
you know, we did play the show at Undercurrents under the name Castrate, and it was hilarious. I mean, all the people that were there to see the show, and it was a pretty good-sized crowd in a pretty good-sized club. Um, they all pretty much knew who we were. They pretty much knew the deal that this was all just a fluke. Like we weren't even called Castrate. You know, we're Slow Bob, but um, we're playing under this ridiculous name under these ridiculous circumstances at this ridiculous music conference, this joke. And uh, I can remember playing the show, you know, and just kind of like as soon as we got to the club and to start loading in and everything, the people were just laughing. You know, it was just anybody who was in on the joke was just laughing every time we looked at each other, you know, because we all knew exactly what we were doing. It was hilarious. And as we played the show, I remember it was like with each song, it got funnier, you know. So by the end of the show, we were like, you know, almost barely able to play, you know, because we were laughing so hard. Everybody in the crowd knew and they were laughing and we were laughing. And, uh, you know, after the show was over, it was still funny. It was actually even funnier like it rippled out into the community that we had done that and uh, we were just getting pats on the back and kudos from all these other bands that you know had been screwed over or you know completely ignored by this uh, unfair and you know ridiculous music conference that they were having and so uh, there you go and there's a story it's a true story and again I Brenda I'm telling you I can I can feel you laughing because I know you remember. You're a witness. You were there. Um, okay, so and you know, so that would be like how I would demonstrate this this sense of cleverness that these guys had. So now um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more, as far as Slow Bob is concerned, um, about where things kind of went after that. Okay. Now, I did mention to you we had a press kit, you know, we had a bio, we had the photo, and we had a cassette tape that we had been handing out. Um, it was a cassette tape that we had recorded with a friend of ours. You know, he brought his gear down to our studio, and we recorded all the songs, you know. A working, functional demo tape to be handing out to clubs and everything, and it served its purpose. I mean, we did get a lot of shows from it. Um, we managed to establish a pretty good foothold in our music scene with that little demo tape and playing really good shows. But it became very clear that if we wanted to go any further than we already had, we were going to need a very good sounding recording. The decision came you know, to finally have a professional recording made. So the guys that were in Slow Bob, the other two members of Slow Bob, when they were in Preferable Sect, the band prior to Slow Bob, um, they had recorded at the studio called Mars Recording Studio in Streetsboro, Ohio. And uh, it's like a suburb of like Akron, where LeBron James is from, you know. And uh, Mars Recording Studio is... Uh, if it's not the best recording studio in the state of Ohio, it's certainly one of the best recording studios in Ohio. Um, a lot of very notable bands have recorded there. 
a lot of international bands have recorded there. Um, just to name a few, I know uh, Mushroom Head has recorded. Uh, if they haven't recorded all of their material there, they've recorded most of it there. Um, uh, there's a band called Integrity. They recorded there. Uh, Craw. Uh, Trouble recorded there. Um, I mean, the list is long. I could, if I really thought about it, I could go on for hours about who's recorded there. Um, anyway, it's a really great studio. And uh, so when it came time for us to record our CD, um, we decided that. You know, we were going to record it at Mars. Now, this was a really big deal to me, okay, because I was a big fan of the group Integrity. Um, and I remember when I was in Thumper, you know, listening to our recording that we had done and listening to the recording that Integrity had done at that same time and trying to figure out why theirs sounded so much better than ours did. And it was before I knew anything about recording, you know? And the reason was, was because at Mars, they recorded on two-inch tape. And um, so this would be my first experience recording onto two-inch tape and, you know, recording at Mars, this studio that I had, you know, since I was a young kid, I was like, you know, will I ever get to record there? You know, uh, it was like a dream to record at Mars. And uh, so the date was booked. Uh, you know, the, the, the time was booked. I got us a investor, a close friend of mine invested the money into it to uh, get us into the studio. Um, we were scheduled in and... Uh, preparation began, you know, immediately for our visit to the studio. And so, um, you know, Mars Recording Studio, the guy who runs the studio, he owns it. Um, he's like notorious for uh, throwing bands out of the studio. Like if they come to the studio unprepared, especially uh, the drummers, he's particularly hard on drummers. He's, he has thrown bands out of the studio and said, you know, you're wasting my time and your money, like get out of here. Um, so, you know, in preparation for our visit to Mars recording studio, you know, there was a lot of like, you know, uh, anxiety on my part. Like I, I really was looking forward to this opportunity to record there. And I certainly, you know, didn't want to get thrown out of the studio because I didn't have my act together. Um, so it was just, you know, intensive, uh, you know, paying attention to every detail. My drums were tuned, new drum heads, plenty of drumsticks, you know, check. Uh, cymbals are in good shape and clean, check, you know. Everything's ready to go. Fine tuned, oiled, ready to go. No, no room for error. Uh, nothing overlooked, you know. So we show up in the studio and we got there probably, you know, maybe about seven o'clock, eight in the morning. And we started to load in and set up. We got everything ready to go. And uh, so we had to do a line check, you know. 
like a test run to make sure that the microphones were all doing what they needed to do, uh, if anything needed to be adjusted, whatever. And the first song we did was a song called And Or, like and slash or. And um, we did a line check and, you know, played the song, went into the control room to listen to it. And let me tell you something, okay? Uh, I had played that song a thousand times, if not a million times, you know? And when he pressed play in that control room on what we had just done in the room next door, okay? It was like the first time I ever heard the song. I mean, I could not believe how good it sounded and how different it sounded than what we had just done in that room. It was like a real recording, a real band, you know? Uh, And I'll never forget it as long as I live. I'll never forget it. It was a revelation. And that was the first take. And that's the take that made it to the record. Check one song off the list. Done. And about eight hours later, we had tracked the entire album. Uh, Pretty much one take per song. With the exception of maybe one song, you know, that we had to redo or something. But uh, we had it down so tight that it went just like clockwork. And uh, by the time the the sessions were over, I think, you know, we were there for about three days. The first day was primary tracking. The second day was, uh, you know, overdubs, guitar overdubs, uh, vocals. And then the third day, we mixed it down. And it was done. And... The recording came out so well and the process was so smooth that we never had it mastered. I mean, the mix was so balanced and so even from song to song, so consistent that we never mastered it. And that recording came out so well, in fact, that it became like the demo reel for Mars Recording Studio. Like, when a new customer would come to his studio to check out the facilities, he would hand them the Slow Bob CD and say, here, listen to this. This is what we're capable of here at Mars. I'm not kidding. It's probably still on the wall in the studio. I'm not sure. It's been years. But I would not be surprised if it's still one of the CDs that he would hand to people to say, listen, this is what we're capable of. Um, and you know, so like now it was like, we had this excellent recording and not only did I get to fulfill the dream of recording at Mars. Okay. And not only did I not get thrown out of the studio, but the owner of the studio actually started to give me studio work. (laughs) Okay. Which was like unbelievable. Okay. Unbelievable. Like, he actually started to drop my name for session work at the studio. And, um, and that was awesome. You know, it was like, like, unbelievable, you know. But not only that, okay, but right around that same time, the band Integrity, that band that I had mentioned earlier, 
they were going to be recording a new album. It was going to be called Seasons in the Size of Days. And they needed a drummer. And I was the guy they called to be the drummer for Integrity. And let me tell you, it was unbelievable. What an unbelievable offer, okay? Uh, because I really liked that band. And, you know, what can I say? I mean, it was a huge opportunity. I mean, they were an international band. It was a, a huge leap forward for me in my career. Or it would have been, okay? But um, ultimately, it was not such a good thing because when I mentioned to the guys in Slow Bob that, you know, I was entertaining the idea of drumming for integrity, oh, man, you know, that was a game changer for Slow Bob, let me tell you. Uh, it did not go over well. And honestly, from that point forward, uh, things in the in Slow Bob were never the same again. Okay? And, and I understand why. I do. Um, but I was not accepting the offer. I was just entertaining the idea of drumming for integrity. And that would have meant, you know... Uh, going in the studio, doing the album, and then doing a tour with them. And uh, ultimately, through you know several conversations with the lead singer of Integrity and myself, we both kind of came to the conclusion that I probably wasn't a very good fit. That um, it was more on a probably more on a philosophical level. We were not on the same page. Um, I think I could have drummed it very well. I think I would have been a really great drummer for Integrity, but ultimately it was a no-go. Um, but that didn't change anything uh, with the, the problems in Slow Bob. I mean, it was really the beginning of the end. Uh, just the fact that I had entertained the idea of drumming for another band. And uh, it's regrettable that uh, that's how the cookie crumbled, but... That's how it went. I mean, I still stayed in the band, you know, for years after that. But really, from that point forward, it was never really the same again. Um, so I think I'm going to leave off uh, right there for now. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to stop and I'll pick it up in the next episode. So, uh, yeah, I'll talk to you about the, uh, you know, post-Mars recording era when we had this CD and we started our own label and we started a tour, um, that'll be in the next episode. But for now, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy. <laughs>